0: It's a place where we'll learn about each other and ourselves, dive into important issues that affect us, discover all that we have in common, and make some memories. So pour yourself a glass of red and get comfortable. Every night is ladies night, and we are women. Tonight's interview is with my wonderful friend, Khani Wastner, who most of you know as Farmy in the City. Khani is one of those people who is just so cool and a pleasure to be around. As awesome and as fun as she seems on social media, Khani is even more so in real life. Most people don't realize that Khani has had her fair share of difficulties, and you're gonna hear us speaking about this in this episode. Khani is really. One of the most authentic people out there. And I believe that a lot of it stems from the fact that she has experienced some real heavy losses and challenges, and she's used these experiences to grow and to inspire others. You'd honestly never know what she's been through by watching her hilarious social media stories and seeing her great sense of humor. So listen in, and you'll see a multifaceted human being with struggles, losses, and tremendous strength. Khani and I. Have had a deep and authentic discussion about her journey to becoming farming in the city, what she went through to get there, her personal losses, and last but not least, feeling worthy as a single woman while choosing to live in a society that values marriage. Listen in and be inspired. I grew up in Brooklyn. I was the oldest, oldest of four kids,
1: and I was a quiet girl. I was really studious. I... Literally, just like from when I was really little, I just did my homework, and you know, as like I progressed to high school, I didn't really like ever go out. I would just like study. I was like a true classic nerd, um and yeah, my family moved to Rockland County when I was pretty much finishing elementary school, and then I went to high school up there. It wasn't it wasn't very easy like that transition um, at first. I didn't really have friends, but like slowly I kind of, um, I made friends and it was tough. Like my parents were financially struggling then. Um, my parents were both immigrants to this country. They both didn't have college educations and I'll never forget. Um, like, you know, hearing my parents' financial struggles. Like I remember as a teenager, like hearing them talking about, you know, how much this is costing or whatever, et cetera. And like, I really, I never, like I was... I was such a good kid. Like I never was causing trouble. I was never asking for anything. Um, Never. I knew like some kids in my high school were like going out and like, you know, going out on Saturday nights. And I I was so not like that. I would just like do my work and stay home and have one pair of school shoes a year and like not even need anything. But the one thing I promised myself was like, I'm going to go and I'm going to get a good profession and I'm going to make sure that I can support myself and make sure that like, if my kids want to go out, they can, you know, and I was never bitter about it at all. I actually, I value that part of my life so much, because even though it was such a struggle as a child to go through it, it also made me very resilient. And it made me appreciate everything. So even if now I live my life in a different way that I I did growing up, and I thank God have, you know, I can afford to, to have like, extraneous things and and buy wants instead of just needs. there's a level of appreciation that I've never lost and a level of sensitivity that I think is really
0: important
1: to have in life. And, and I'm grateful for that.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's what you go through that makes you into the person who you become. For sure. This is true. So, so what led you to become a pharmacist specifically, right? Because there are a lot of careers that, that can, bring a really great income and right. create a comfortable lifestyle for you. So, so what was, what made your decision in regards to becoming a pharmacist? Um, good question. So I pretty much um, in 12th grade,
1: I kind of the beginning of the year, I knew I wasn't going to be going to um to seminary i was like my parents couldn't afford it and you know it was it was hard to be my a lot most of the girls in my class went to seminary which if, if someone doesn't know is usually um the year after high school a lot of um like jewish girls that go to private jewish schools will do another year of co- like additional comprehensive jewish studies usually in israel so it can be pretty pricey year away it's a year abroad really studying um, So I kind of, from the beginning of 12th grade, I was like, okay, I have to pick a career and I have to map out my plan. And I was, I was really young. So I, um, decided in 12th grade, I wanted to do something health science related. I loved science. I thought I would maybe go to medical school, but as a religious Jewish girl with the assumption that I'm getting married at 19, maybe 21, the latest har har. (laughs) So, I made a calculation in my head, like we probably all do at that age, um, and was mapping out my decisions based off that. So then I was like, okay, maybe I'll go to nursing school because it's short. But then I'm like, nah, I I don't really want to do that. I don't know if I can handle like, you know, they deal with a lot of gore or whatever. So then I thought about pharmacists. And also, I think it's really hard at that age to have any idea what you're picking when you actually pick a profession. And what was very helpful with pharmacy was that I had some of my mother's cousins. I had like second cousins who had already become pharmacists and were practicing. So I had people that I can ask lots of questions from. Again, like I didn't really, I don't think I had a better grasp exactly of what my profession could be from talking to them, but it was very, very helpful and and that they were there for me and, and I was able to ask them questions. Um, so yeah, so I decided on pharmacy and even though it was still a long path, it was, it was at least six years total, um, and a doctorate and already, you know, a longer career than just like going to nursing school or doing like your initial nursing degree. I decided that's what I was going to do. Um, You know, even if I was married with a baby or two by the time I finished, ha ha. (laughs) But then as I was in school, I actually stumbled across clinical pharmacy, which again, I didn't even know about when I picked pharmacy as a profession, I had always thought I was going to work in a chain pharmacy and um, do like the standard job, what people think of like your standard traditional pharmacist. But then as I was having lectures in pharmacy school and I was having lectures from professors who were actually practicing as clinical pharmacists, that's when I discovered that world and was so fascinated about what I can use my degree for and use it in a more kind of dynamic, hands-on way in a hospital setting, um, which is what I ended up doing and that I ended up having to do another two years of training, um, which involved residency training, kind of like what a physician does um, you know, grounding with the doctors in different in different practice settings. Um and I ended up specializing in critical care. And then I was working in an ICU for three years. And then now I've been working in an emergency department slash trauma center for the past two years.
0: Wow. Okay. So can we just backtrack for a second? Yes. yes. So as a cl- <laughs> um okay, so I know that I didn't even know that there was such a thing as a clinical pharmacist before I spoke to you. And I'm sure that many of our listeners don't either. So could you share like what the difference is between being a clinical pharmacist versus, which is what you do then being, um, versus being a like behind the counter, uh, like right aid, you know, big chain pharmacy or any pharmacy pharmacist.
1: (laughs) Sure. So Um, so all pharmacists now in the United States, they have to go to school for at least six years to get their PharmD, which is doctor of pharmacy. So it is a doctorate, which I think also a lot of people don't realize that. Um, and some, some people even go to school for eight years because they do a bachelor's before, but I did two years of pre-pharmacy. So I ended up with six, but anyway, a clinical pharmacist, um, pretty much does extra training post-graduation to specialize in whatever field they want to specialize in. So, let's say for me it was focusing on critical care medicine so doing this more intensive training in a hospital setting usually um, but sometimes you can also have pharmacists that train in clinic settings so you have like ambulatory care clinical pharmacists um, but pretty much more you know training with doctors and nurses rounding on actual patients, um, doing a lot more intensive um, presentation work, um, journal, you know, journal clubs. So we do a lot of literature analysis. Like pharmacists are always looked upon to be kind of like your drug information resource people, you know, like Mm -hmm. a a physician will be like, Hey, I heard about this study in the news. What do you think? So there's a lot of emphasis on analyzing literature and statistics. Um, I hate statistics, but (laughs) at the end of the day, it's a big part of what we do, like making sure that this study is solid, you know, um, things like that. Um, And yeah, other specialties, there are clinical pharmacists in internal medicine. So just like general medicine floors in a hospital will sometimes have a rounding clinical pharmacist. Like we actually, which people don't realize, like we could be one of those rounding people on the teams and what that means in a day by day basis. Like that means that, you know, we focus a lot of times on, you know, think, I think people have this misconception that pharmacists love drugs but it's actually wrong. Physicians love drugs. (laughs) The pharmacist is often the person that is like, um, this patient shouldn't be on this antibiotic anymore. You gave the patient this antibiotic for five days and that's the recommended treatment course for this patient. Why are you continuing this antibiotic? It has potential side effects, you know, or, you know, why is this like always making sure we're always looking at the medications with the doctors and making sure that it has an indication for whatever they're giving it for looking for drug interactions. You know, sometimes like side effects happen in a hospitalized patient and how do we manage that? Um, For me in critical care, emergency medicine, there's a lot of code response, you know, like I work in a comprehensive stroke center. So whenever a stroke rolls through the door, I'm going to that stroke code to try and help the team figure out, okay, are we going to give, you know, the clot busting drug that we give, which I actually just gave today. We, we got that, that drug in so fast today, if I may say so myself, (laughs) but, you know, helping making sure speaking to the family, did the patient take any blood thinners and, and can't get this, you know, making sure that we're meeting like the, the symptom onset. Well, these things like people don't realize that a pharmacist can actually be participating in. And that's, a lot of what clinical pharmacists do.
0: Yeah, I feel like as as I'm I'm sure that your followers have begun to notice that you don't do like what they automatically think a pharmacist does because we all see you in the hospital or you talk or you're talking about your experience right. in the hospital that day, but it's interesting to hear that you're really hands-on with the patients and working alongside the doctors and nurses. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of responsibility and sometimes um, you know, especially once you build a rapport with different doctors in an emergency medicine setting, it's, it's scary. You know, a doctor can turn to you and it can be an emergency and a patient is crashing and they'll be like, can I give this? And it's like, you have to know the answer to that. And if you don't, you better know real fast where to look that up correctly. Wow.
0: That's so, so interesting. I had no idea. So you're kind of like, approving. Mm-hmm. So so you're approving what the doctors saying you're also kind of like they're like checkpoint kind of thing. Right.
1: Right. Yeah, we're one of the last checkpoints. Yeah. Like I mean, so there's a pharmacist in the in the ER 24/7, like the one who was just messaging me. But um there is a pharmacist in like a little satellite pharmacy who's verifying the orders and making sure that it's safe based off the labs that they see. You know, based on what's available in the chart, you know, making sure if it's a drug that can't be given in pregnancy, is there a pregnancy test, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's a more dynamic situation going on sometimes with a clinical pharmacist at the bedside where I'm actually seeing the patient's blood pressure and heart rate and saying, oh, no, this is not the best idea. Let's give this medication instead. Or, you know, getting information from the patient and realizing that, oh, you know, no, that's not a good idea. Or, you know, the nurses came to me today, oh, the blood sugar is this, should we continue the insulin? I'll be like, no. And then I'll go and have a conversation with the doctor and be like, hey, can we do this? You know, so there's a lot, a lot more like going on at the bedside that I'm doing versus there's a constant pharmacist who's signing off on the orders, which I don't do as much in my day to day, like, Mm -hmm. job.
0: That's so interesting. So. Are there always pharmacists in hospitals, like whenever you're admitted for anything, whether it's a minor surgery or major surgery, are there pharmacists that are behind the scenes that we don't see who are kind of doing what you're doing, like approving the drugs and stuff? That's a great question. Um,
1: The answer is no. Um, It happens to be New York is also pretty behind with this subspecialty of the field. At the end of the day, what I do is quote unquote, like by a hospital administrator considered ancillary, like the hospital doesn't need me to run. There aren't usually clinical pharmacists overnight. The big kicker here is, is that we decrease the rate of medication errors significantly. Like if you look at, there are actually studies that have been published about the rate of ICU medication errors significantly going down in a unit that had a clinical pharmacist rounding versus ones that did not. So medication errors are like one of the top reasons that patients die every year in hospitals. Um, not to mention when you're talking about administrators, it also costs the hospital a significant amount of money. Um, but at the end of the day, it saves lives. So, um, you know, we don't, we're not, we're not 24 seven, but we definitely, I think are necessary. I definitely yes. do. I'm passionate about it, but it's sometimes hard for administrators to fully understand our utility because again, like the general public doesn't even know what we do, you know, like, right. Right. This conversation 100%. is like new information for you. So sometimes administrators, if they have been practiced at the bedside, they, you know, they don't necessarily understand our worth. So it takes sometimes a lot of time for a hospital to get enough of these positions, but the ones that do like good luck getting rid of them, like right. <laughs> doctors will throw a fit, like doctors and nurses, they will, they love their clinical pharmacists because, um, yeah, we're, we're definitely a great resource at the bedside. For sure. And you're protecting them from future lawsuits also. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I've had, I've had like medical residents, one of my medical residents, like from a few years ago was like whining and complaining that I caught all these errors or told them all these things he had to do. And I was like, (laughs) so-and-so when you're sitting on your yacht, you know, because you had one less multi multi-million dollar malpractice lawsuit, you'll thank me. (laughs) But we've definitely, besides for saving, you know, lives with catching errors, you know, we've we've also saved uh, doctors some lawsuits, but yeah.
0: Sure. That's awesome. Yeah. uh, So based on the fact that you're obviously loving what you're doing and everything, if you could start all over again, is there anything you do differently or would you continue in the same path?
1: So I wouldn't I wouldn't change anything. Um I do I do wish that it didn't even go through my head to be like, oh, I might get married in two years and have a baby in another year. So I can't go to medical school like that. That's sad that I think a lot of us do that thought process. And I'm really glad that I ended up with the profession that I'm very happy with and very passionate about. But I think a lot of people really use that assumption of what if I'm married soon, and I can't do this to make their career choice. And I think it's such a shame. And it's, it's so bad, because, um, I think especially for a lot of us who are single having that generativity through whatever we're doing like nine to five is so so critical to our mental health Um, while staying single for possibly many years and I just like I wish I wish girls and guys didn't think about you know the what if this happens and I'm married as far as choosing their profession I think Obviously, you have to take into account can I do this with whatever resources I have, whether it's can I afford to take out the loans for this or, you know, whatever other situation is going on in your life. But think about it like right then, you know, make that decision then. Like you can't make assumptions. And if you're very passionate about something, I really think you should go for it. And I've definitely had friends or friends of friends who have lived with that regret because they ended up, let's say, single for seven, eight years and picked a profession that they weren't happy with and they always
0: had the regret that they didn't they didn't try and just do it. Right, for sure, for sure. Yeah, as you're as you're talking I'm like thinking about people in my life who have made decisions. Well, I've seen both. Like as you've said, you know, I've had friends who've um decided not to pursue their passions and people don't want to say it, you know what I mean? But I feel like they regret it. And then I have a friend yeah. who um, she really wanted to be a doctor like her whole life. That was her dream. She wants to become a doctor and she was very concerned about it in regards to dating, but she ended yeah. up marrying a guy who was happy and supported her, her dreams. And now she's a doctor. Right. So, right. Wow. Good for her. Well, you're also, you just kind of like indirectly touched on another aspect
1: that I didn't mention, which is there's the aspect of you making the assumption of like, will I be able to do this with a husband and kids? But there's the other fear of oh my gosh, are they going to be intimidated by me? Um, Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is, I think, a huge problem in our community. Like, oh my gosh, you can't become a doctor because he's going to be intimidated by this. I've actually had people message me on Instagram, like, hey, I wanted to become a pharmacist or I'm in pharmacy school. Someone greeted me with, are you sure? Because like the guys are going to not want to date you. Um, Which is just, it's so ridiculous that that's like, an archaic and still persistent theme in some in some people i don't think i think a lot of people are respectful but but then again it's like okay you really don't need those guys like you know i'm personally and a lot of girls are looking for guys who are confident right and a confident guy should not be intimidated by a smart woman and honestly is obviously not smart enough for me if that intimidates him so um thank you next
0: right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so would you say that your choice of career affected your dating life at all? So it definitely
1: did. Um I definitely did not date at like I wanna I almost said at all, but the truth is like almost at all throughout pharmacy school and residency. So that is um a good eight years um that I really I didn't date much and I didn't put myself out there and um the way we date, which is often, you know, through setups and, and either matchmakers and things like that. You know, I didn't really have a commute, like a single community. It was just like my pharmacy school friends and um, I didn't get set up much. And, you know, I, I don't know that I regret that at all because I think I had a lot of growing up to do and, and just figuring out who I, who I was as a person. Um But, you know, it definitely, definitely affected my dating life. But I, you know, I I think that's okay. I mean, sometimes I think I look back and I, I feel bad about it. But I think that's really just the Jewish guilt talking. And I, I don't think I was I had a lot going on in life, you know, my dad was really sick throughout pharmacy school and residency. And, Combined with the stress of school, like studying till two a.m. for exams, and then residency, staying up till three a.m. practicing presentations, um, I don't think I had the right headspace. And I and I really think I was figuring out who I was in every aspect, like really figuring out my strengths and weaknesses as a person, figuring out my religiosity. All these things it took me years to figure out after high school and during those difficult times. I think I kind of found myself and and yeah, I, and learn to love myself. And that is important before you're actually looking to get married, which I don't think we focus enough on.
0: Yes, totally. And and now that you mentioned, you've given sort of um, a glimpse into what you've been through. Uh, you know, I'm sure people look at you, you know, without knowing your background and struggles, and assume that you're naturally happy, and it's been like smooth sailing for you based on, you know, your Instagram and the way you speak in general, and you're always smiling and have great energy, you know, but, but we know it's not the case. We know you've been through a lot. You've had, you've suffered through losses, you know, Yeah. but after all you've been through, how do you stay so positive?
1: Um, so <laughs> it's definitely a work in progress. It's, it's day by day. It happens to be, I was just telling you, telling you earlier, um, I had a really bad day yesterday. Now, granted, I think this is also pandemic stress. Um but you know you're going to have bad days and that's okay. Um but yeah, I mean people people do look at me and think that like oh she's happy and some people might make assumptions like oh she has an easy life, but it's it's not true. Like just because someone laughs a lot and maybe is funny, it's sometimes those people that actually have gone through real real loss and suffering and you know, I've had a lot of stuff go on go on with in my life in the past thirty years that I didn't I I didn't ask for at least I didn't think I asked for. <laughs> um, I've lost a father, which I've spoken a lot about, but I I've also lost a a, a younger brother, which I don't talk about. Um, unrelated reasons that I lost them, but you know, to have lost a parent and a brother within a few years at the age of 30, i don't think a lot of people can say that they've experienced that um and you know there's always this question also like with my my father was at home and he was he was sick for many many years and we used to have this like conversation at home like is it is it better to lose someone suddenly or to lose someone with the knowledge that they're going to die and like you kind of have closure and you can say goodbye. Um, and they're both horrible, and no one should have to pick that. But, you know, the years of him being sick were were their own level of torture. And in a, in a sad, weird way, when he died, I was sad, but I wasn't because um, he he was suffering so much at that point. It, it, you know, it's almost like, you know, when, when people who weren't familiar, I, I found this a lot, like people who don't necessarily understand disease and they'll hear someone is very sick with a certain disease they'll be like oh I hope he gets better or hope she gets better and, and people don't understand like some diseases some types of suffering they're 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 that's never happening and the better blessing is like you know I'm trying to think of the the best verbiage but you know I I hope that they don't suffer or I hope you know um that they have peace whatever it is I'm saying you know, when you when a person loses someone who's been suffering for a long time, it's it's loss, but it's also like few <laughs> because, it, you know, if the suffering is not going to be ever get better, it's better for that person, unfortunately, to pass um, in a horrible way. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's made me resilient having loss in life. Um, it's made me a lot more empathetic. Um, And sometimes I cry and sometimes I'm not happy, but um, I think I've just like become someone who has to laugh at the little things because sometimes the big things are just really not funny. (laughs) So if you incorporate finding humor as much as you can, then maybe there'll be enough laughter to combat the tears that you also might have.
0: Right. Oh my gosh. It's interesting that you say that about the suffering because I feel like it's only something that you that people who have suffered the losses yeah. can say. This is something. It's just an important point that like people, other people can't say to you. You know what I mean? It's something that yeah, because it's it's like one of those things that people try to make you feel better, and you're right. like, no, but don't tell me that because I just right. lost my whatever. You know what I mean? Right. Right, right. Oh my gosh, don't even get me started on Shiva. I have lots of rants about
1: the things people say. (laughs) But but right, like people, people are uncomfortable with these conversations. Um, A lot of people, thank God, especially my age, haven't experienced loss like that. And even a lot of older people haven't. And and people are uncomfortable with death and, and people don't like discussing, discussing someone else's death or suffering because they, it makes them scared of their own mortality. They're like, you know, please tell me how this cannot happen to me or my loved one, um, so that I could sleep at night. But at the end of the day, yeah, there's, there's some difficult things that I would say that people might have trouble understanding because they haven't been in my shoes. Um, but and I hope they and I hope they don't have to be they're they're also big shoes I have big feet
0: (laughs) (laughs) well (laughs) yeah I mean yeah I hear you I hear you okay so moving on um (laughs) yeah so okay so Something that I love about you, Hani, is, and I've noticed this from day one, is your confidence to show up completely natural, unfiltered, in your bed, no makeup, like straight of <laughs> the shower, you know, like on your Instagram, on um, like your Instagram. What would you say gives you the confidence to do what so many people are afraid of doing?
1: Well, first of all, it's plain stupidity because <laughs> because um when I, I, I started storing actively uh how how long ago? I don't know two years ago, and I had like three hundred followers and probably seventy people that I mostly knew watching my story so I didn't really think about it, and I was just really myself and then moving right along to over two thousand followers, and I kind of forgot that like quite a few more people are watching me now, <laughs> so sometimes they'll be like, "Oh my gosh, you do realize that person just saw you." in pajamas right but um but so it's kind of like that transition I'm still catching up with and also it is in all honesty and, and seriousness I guess I do I don't know that it's like an active confidence because I do I do have to work on my confidence I think people look at me and they think like oh my gosh she has so much confidence and that's that's not true I think I'm a pretty confident person but I also have a lot of insecurities that I that I actively try and work on um I think it's just that I don't subscribe to, you know, being too worried about what people think of me. I mean, I I do obviously have that we all do to a certain extent. But I think really seeing like the frailty of life and having significant losses from a young age and, and seeing having to unfortunately learn like what life is all about. um, It's made me less superficial about certain things. And and caring less about what people think of you, because it's just, it doesn't matter in the end. Um, and like, there's, there's too little time to just not be yourself. Um, I think,
0: I think it's subconsciously a combination
1: of those right. things.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that make it makes sense though, because when you, when you've been through serious things and like when life has thrown serious, you know, situations your way and And you really, and you realize what's what's truly important. I think it just brings like an extra dose, like of authenticity to to you and to your persona, and and people, yeah. And then then you just don't care, and then people are also drawn to that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because everyone, at the end of the day, we're all drawn to to realness, to authenticity. To I'm trying to think of another word than authenticity because it's so overused, but Right, just being raw and and to be right. yourself, right,
1: right. It's less is it's more right. It's more just staying authentic, which I think, which I think I am, and I think yeah. I think it's part of why I, I gained a lot of followers. I, I mean, not part. I think it's a big a For big sure. reason. Um, is that people are kind of craving that, and even if someone quote unquote looks like very superficial and whatever, like we all gravitate towards reality and social media being so fake and and showing the perfect side of us. And, and obviously I show a lot of the quote unquote perfect side of me when in reality, maybe like, I'll never forget. There was one, there was one night that I storied, this was a long time ago already, but like, it looked like from my story, I was laughing later, uh, like I had a perfect night out or whatever. And then I came home and it was like one of the ugliest cries that, that I've ever had, whatever was hurting me then um, like real ugly crying, like mascara down to my chair. (laughs) Um, but in saying you didn't see that on Instagram, but but for the most part, I think, I think I, I, I do show, like I show me laughing, but I show me crying and, and that's okay. And I think it's, I think it's, um, it's important to normalize that because I think a lot of people feel alone. And I love that sometimes I've been able to connect with people who have been like, wow, thanks for sharing that, you know, I feel like that too. Um, and I think that's a really cool, cool part of social media.
0: Yes, absolutely. And also, I literally quoted you during the corona. Well, we're still in the corona situation crisis now, yeah. but during like the, I guess the 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 peak of the crisis, yeah. I was like quoting you to my family. I'm like, no, but Khani, you no know, farming in the city. Khani said this. <laughs> so, like, we're doing this. <laughs> wow. I feel like Dr.
1: Fauci right now. <laughs>
0: No, but it's so great because people, as I said, people are just like, your message spreads and it flows and it's organic when, like it flows organically when you're just like a real authentic person. And that's what people love about you, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I try, I try. I mean, actually, I don't try. It's just that's that's who I am. <laughs> that's it. who I am.
1: No, I'm saying like really, like that's know, that's I who know. I am. Like most of most of my stories are just like one take. Like people, I think, think that maybe I'm like practicing this or like like that's just me naturally ranting or naturally talking. Like I don't I don't put too much thought into it, which sometimes is a mistake. <laughs> but but it's yeah, it's me. Right. No, In the words of one it. of my one of my best friends refuses to watch my story. <laughs> and she's like, Why do I need to watch your story if I get the real version of you all the time? And I'm like, that, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. <laughs> Speaking of authenticity, I wanted to take a minute to thank Valerie's Boutique for sponsoring this episode. I myself am a customer of Valerie's and have seen firsthand the quality and beauty of her work. I absolutely love the message of Valerie's brand, which is all about embracing our femininity through utilizing our power as women, our inner strength, intuition, edginess, and elegance. In an interesting turn of events, Valerie was actually in school for psychology when the wheels turned and she chose a different path. What was she was newly married, and although she saw the beauty and religious conviction to cover her hair, she became frustrated with the lack of affordable and comfortable hair covering options. So during a date night with her husband, she went to Michaels, bought her own applique, applied it to a beret, and created her own decorative beret. Valerie thought that more people in the community would appreciate it, so she posted it on her personal Instagram account and got her first sale, and her business just took off from there. A few years later, Valerie's Boutique is known for her beautiful handmade accessories ranging from berets, headscarves with delicate crystal appliques to headbands and decorative gloves for the winter. Valerie gets tremendous joy when women tell her how her accessories help them feel more confident and beautiful. You can chop her beautiful and affordable accessories designed with women of valor and beauty in mind on her website, valeriesboutique.com and follow her creative journey on Instagram at valeriesboutique. That is v-a-l-e-r-i-s boutique.com you can get 10% off your first order with coupon code carmella10 obviously we're all formed by our experiences and everything we've gone through creates the person we are today but we also have people who inspire us along our journey you know and they definitely have a huge impact on who we've become so who are your inspirations um that's a
1: great question. I would definitely say my parents are my inspiration in different ways and like my father who passed away was very inspiring for you know how he just had so much faith in God like despite knowing what was going to happen to him and just throughout he was just amazing he was like really also just very humble about his greatness like there are people who like go around bragging like I did this today and I did this act of kindness and I gave charity and this and whatever and my father was like really quiet and you know people maybe like didn't think of him as like some big important guy, but he actually was like truly righteous, like truly, truly righteous um, in a very quiet, humble way. Um, and, and my mom, definitely my mother is, may she live a long, happy
0: and healthy life. <laughs>
1: um, she's definitely one of my best friends. And she also is just really amazing how she handled... Um, When my father was sick, keeping him him at home and staying strong for the family, obviously, it wasn't always easy. And and there were some really bad times. But um, she's really the strongest woman I know. And she's dealt with a lot, a lot of things. And she stayed strong and and also also finds a way to laugh. <laughs> yes. um, she's
0: so funny. By the way, she... on your stories. She's hilarious.
1: Yeah, people like to tell me I get my sense of humor from her. I'm like, not exactly, <laughs> but fine, maybe a little. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was gonna say that actually. <laughs> I see where you got it from. That's what I was gonna say. No, uh... but it's funny because, like, yeah, no, I-, I see what you're saying though. I mean. I feel like she has a very light energy, your mom, kind of like the same way that you do that you just could like laugh off, laugh things off and like, just to have fun in life and enjoy life, you know?
1: Yeah, sometimes. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> she likes to stress a lot too, <laughs> which I also think I got from her. But, um, but no, she's, she definitely like, I'm lucky that I'm able to laugh with her and be very honest and open with her in a way that I think a lot of, um, like, like people my age can't with their parents. Um, and, and yeah, I'm I'm lucky that I'm able to have that relationship, but she's, she's very understanding and, um, accepting and, and that's really, really amazing.
0: Yeah, for sure. So how would you say that societal expectations have influenced your feelings and choices in regards to dating and marriage?
1: Um, so I think we touched on this a little before about, you know, definitely it, it, definitely society's expectations about when I'm supposed to get married and to what kind of guy I'm supposed to get married to um, kind of affected my professional decision. Right. Like, you know, what, like what job I was going to have, et cetera. Um, but I think, I think the bigger issue for me personally has been, kind of the societal impression that you know, you're you not whole until you're married um, and you need to find your person and, and focusing so much on finding that person and, and less of that emphasis on finding yourself and learning to love yourself. Um, I think that's definitely been a bigger uh, struggle for me to, to figure that out. Um, because I, I don't think I, I was ever adequately taught that and kind of discovering that I, I had these, these weaknesses and strengths that I should work on, you know, focus on my strengths and, and focus on my weaknesses to improve them. Um, and I, I was able to do that by being single and alone, you know? So, yeah. um, so I'm really grateful for that because I think, um, I think that's, that's definitely been a very important part of my journey. And and I'm very proud of, of the person I've become and, and that that's happened being myself alone. And I think that's made me a better person and a more aware person to God willing be a spouse to, to someone else. But I think that's such an important journey to have and to be aware of that. I don't think our society does enough justice to, and and doesn't acknowledge it as like the important part of life that it actually is.
0: Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Self-growth is is so important. And, um, you know, sometimes people end up doing it with a spouse. Right. But when you're on your own, there's a different level of really like giving the attention just to yourself, just the the self and the growth that could happen is just Incredible, and definitely, like the there, there are a lot of pressures to, to get married, and people kind of sometimes forget about the the aspect of of growing alone. Yeah, um, and they just try to. They're like racing, racing to the finish line, almost. Right. you know, right, right, and not and not just enjoying the
1: race. I mean, it shouldn't be a race.
0: <laughs> enjoying the journey,
1: <laughs> right. right? Enjoying the journey. It should be a
0: journey. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, Hani, you're clearly a successful woman. You know, you got yourself through school, you took out student loans, you were working full time. Nevertheless, do society's expectations impact your confidence and feelings about your success?
1: Um, At this point, I can say no, um, that I'm very proud and confident of everything I've accomplished. Um, But several years ago, I probably would say that I you know, had to work on that because, um, you know, it's just, you're an older single quote unquote. And I like, I felt like people disregarded my accomplishments, um, because you're, you're still single. You're not married. Like, and that's, that's the ultimate accomplishment and anything else is, is, doesn't count. (laughs) Um, but I think I think I'm pretty confident and happy with you know what I've accomplished, regardless of still being single. Um, to just feel proud of that. But you know, you do meet people along the way who maybe say comments, and it's just learning to tune them out and to just stay true to yourself and, and know know what you believe and what's important to you.
0: Right. Absolutely. And also, could we just touch on that abuse? That you mentioned like the older single thing, yeah that's like really, <laughs> the term should be burned from everyone's burned. vernacular because for right so so you know it depends on the community that you're from um you have different expectations right so like in our community you're expected to start dating and get married when you're you know 19 years old is it as a as a female right um, well, I mean, it's
1: really young, but a lot of people do start at 19.
0: Yeah. Right. So, and then twenty, 22 and all of a sudden you got, you hit your mid twenties. You're still single. Okay. Like they're getting worried. Okay. Late twenties. Now you're all of a sudden considered an older single. Honey, you're 30 years old. That's not an older single. If you tell your friends, <laughs> if you tell your friends, like, um, who were like your, your coworkers, yeah. um, they probably think it's crazy because, they would laugh. Right. They would laugh. They would tell you what we're just starting to maybe think of settling down in a couple of years. Yeah. So let's just talk about, about feeling, you know, I guess like fulfilled and, yeah. and confident as a quote unquote older single, because it's, I'm sure many of our listeners are in the same situation or have or no or have friends or know people who are in a similar situation you know um so I would love to hear from you some just like advice that you could give over to help women who are single you know in regards to feeling eight fulfilled until they find the right one but also just confident that in their in their choices and and know that they're like doing the right thing and taking care of them like even if they haven't found the right one yet you know what i'm saying
1: yeah um i wish i had such an easy answer but it's really it's really hard i mean um i i still struggle with it um especially because you know our community is very beautiful it's very family oriented um we have a lot of beautiful holidays but again it's not really built around singlehood and every time a holiday rolls around at this age, you know it's just it's so so hard not to mention how holidays are just such a reflection also of of your loss right like anything right. anything that's affected your family unit, whether it's a loss of a father for me um you know or you're still single or if someone's married and waiting to have kids, holidays are a huge struggle for a lot of people um but specifically focusing on being single it's it's just it's so tough because the holidays truly are built around a family you know father comes home from synagogue this blessing is said you know mm-hmm. passover the kids say this prayer you know like i don't think i've ever had such an emotional passover seder than the one i had spent here alone in my apartment <laughs> right. um you know during this pandemic like you know working in a hospital during the peak of chases and, and possibly having exposure and, and literally here alone and, and saying the Seder al- alone myself. And, and literally, you know, I don't, I don't talk to God like all the time, but <laughs> during that moment, I literally like, I looked up at God and I'm like, yo, what's up? Like, this is what I'd like for my Api Komen seeing as here I am sitting alone myself with just you and me. <laughs> but, um but yeah, I'm saying it's, it's really, it's really hard to, to feel worthy when we don't have a clear place in a, in a society and community that's, that's very much based about family life. And, and I think that's a beautiful part of our community and I really value it, but like, it's very hard when you just don't have that. And um, I think it's, you know, it's a lot of obviously finding friends, finding a support system um, is super, super critical, you know, like talking about putting yourself out there. Um, a couple of years ago, I would like never go to singles events. I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm so intimidated. And I still find them intimidating. But what I've learned and I'm so grateful for is that putting myself out there, I've met also wonderful women. I don't really meet men to date, but (laughs) I've, I've gained a lot of great friendships from, from going to events and and just putting myself out there. That's great. Meeting people. Um, which I think is really, really critical when you're when you're single in a community where you know it's it's harder to be single, um, and also not being too hard on yourself. Like you know, our religion focuses a lot on, on, on perfection and trying to, you know, say this blessing and and this mitzvah and et cetera. And I think just not being too hard on yourself. Like sometimes you have to, you know, there's the letter of the law and the spirit of the law and you, you do what you, you can. I'm no rabbi. Like right. I don't, I don't mean this to criticize the religion in any way, but I think sometimes we're just so hard on ourselves. Like, Oh, I, I didn't do this enough or I didn't do that. And it's like, stop a second and be like, wow, no, you're awesome. You're doing something, even though it's hard, yeah. it's hard to do this alone. And, and that is beautiful.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's about appreciating where you are and your accomplishments. And how about, I know you mentioned, um, in regards to like having a career, um, you kind of touched on that before. So do you want to like expound on that a little bit? Right,
1: right, right, right. Yeah, no. So that's definitely another aspect of making sure that you stay sane while single (laughs) is doing something you love and, you know, um, doing as much like you know learning a new hobby not waiting like i've had friends who've told me um oh i'm not going to hawaii because i'm waiting to do that with a husband no don't wait to do that with a husband go to hawaii (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. hawaii is just for honeymooners no it's not you'll see a lot of honeymooners and you'll also see a lot of like bachelorette parties and family parties you know like yeah just don't don't wait for someone to live your life because you really have no guarantees in life, no guarantees, and even if you find that person, you have no guarantees so um just really you know not waiting to do what you want to do and and finding as much as you can that that gives you um appreciation of yourself, whether it's a job that you love, an activity that you love um you know pursuing things that you've been waiting to pursue, anything like that. Just don't, don't wait because really tomorrow and, and the person that you think is coming tomorrow is not promised. And as morbid as that
0: might sound, it's the truth. Right. It's true. It's very true. Um, it's funny because I was just talking to a friend of mine and I'm not going to go into the details, but basically it was regarding like someone made a comment of like, this is the sort of gift that, that you got from a man. And she was like, no, 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 you could get it yourself. Right. Why can't it be like, no, this is the sort of gift that I treat myself to. Right. Uh, You know what I mean? And it was just like. um, Yeah, I feel like I feel like I've told you this. When I started working,
1: I was 19. I had been working. I was in school. I was thinking about like second year of college already. I had saved up money and I barely spent money on myself. And I went and I specifically bought myself a ring um it wasn't a diamond. I mean it had like diamond chips and like this little blue stone because I like blue. And um I bought it for myself and even then I was so young and I'm like, I'm not waiting for a man to buy me jewelry. (laughs) Good. Um looking back, maybe that was a bad idea. (laughs) And I also I also have always worn it on my ring finger and I always get comments by people like, You shouldn't be wearing this on your ring finger and I'm like, well if someone thinks this is an engagement ring, then I'm sorry. They are they're totally off but but I, I like how I was so young then and like still figuring myself out and like I had that like um gumption to be like no I'm gonna buy myself a ring because I want a ring yes
0: right yeah good for you I know I also wear rings on my ring finger and I get comments like that but it's a comfortable like feels good don't you know I
1: mean yeah yeah it does and and seriously if you think that's an engagement ring, then you're definitely not the man for me because you're going to have to do better than this ring that I bought at the age of 19. <laughs>
0: Good for you. That's so funny. Yeah. And then I feel like also there's another aspect of this that just came to me um, in regards to feeling fulfilled. I think that, of course, everything starts with yourself. Like there's no doubt about it. You know, confidence and self-worth comes from the inside. But I definitely believe that there is an aspect to society and the way I mean obviously like there's 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 a huge a lot of it comes from the way people treat singles you know Mm -hmm. what I mean and and the lack of of respect or or the lack or it's kind of like the way they think that if you haven't gotten married yet then you haven't reached achieved that goal right and I think that like what would you want to tell people, you know, in our in, in the community or any religious community or any community that really has marriage as kind of like an achievement and a higher status? What would you like to tell people? Well, I
1: think it's really important when you're in a community that focuses a lot on marriage, um, and these expectations and considers it as like your ultimate achievement. Um, we spoke about self-growth and how that's so important and self-worth and and working on your self-love, but also standing up for yourself in these little situations where people may disrespect you. Um, It's okay to say like, you know, um, I'm worthy because of this, you know, I'm looking to get married, but this is not the only thing we need to talk about in an obviously as respectful way as possible. But Sometimes you have to remind society, unfortunately, that this is not the end all be all, and you are more than your lack of a marriage certificate. Right. Um, and I think that's a constant struggle. And I think I'm also talking a big talk. It's not easy. It's not easy, and this happens a lot. And you know, but I think it's it's just it's such a good feeling when you stand up for yourself in a in a respectful way. But sometimes people need to be put in their place, and sometimes society needs to be reminded that hey, I'm a person. I'm not a quote unquote, older single. I'm not a quote unquote, single girl. I'm a woman. I am a successful <laughs> woman who also happens to still be single.
0: Yes. Yes. Right. Um, Yeah. I love that. It's Put that funny. on a shirt. I like right. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. I remember I met, I, I remember I met a, an old Acquaintance of mine mm-hmm. who I hadn't seen in a while, and she was asking me about what I was doing these days, and I was telling her and whatever, and the whole rundown. And she's like, "Oh, that's so cool! Like, wow, your makeup company and whatever." Then she goes, but, "But we have to get you married." I was like, "So you're pretty much like, just like disregarding my successful right. business and my degrees that I've worked really hard to get." And you are just saying that all that matters is marriage. Right. Right. Yeah. It's a
1: horrible, that's a horrible feeling when people say that it's, it's just like, you want to be respected for, for you. And yeah, it's, it's just, you know, getting marriage, I think, you know, a lot of us want to get married, but if it hasn't happened, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be the, the main conversation point. (laughs) I'm laughing because what you just said reminded me, like when I graduated pharmacy school, I'm like really close with my grandmother. I actually lived by my grandparents throughout pharmacy school and residency. Um, so when I graduated, she framed a picture of me and her at my pharmacy school graduation. And then it it made it to the married grandkids counter. I was like laughing, like they're all my younger cousins, like four or five of them at that point or whatever, like in their wedding photos. And like, there I am with my doctorate on the same, on the same counter.
0: I made it. I made it in life. That's so cute. But I love it that you did that though. Yeah.
1: Because
0: yeah, she was just like okay, like this. I'm proud of this. I'm proud of that, and I'm proud of you for doing this. Th- you know what I mean? I think she's put the picture away honestly because
1: now there's so many great grandkids Kanaihara. <laughs> so I think I've been relegated to I don't know where. <laughs> Definitely off
0: <laughs> <up> the counter. <laughs> but I had my moments of fame for a little while. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> um. Okay. Continuing with this discussion of of marriage. Okay. So obviously there's this pressure from society, um in some communities. How would you say that someone who's either currently not interested in getting married or they just haven't found the right one yet, how can they still feel like they fit in if they're choosing to be part of a community where marriage is the ideal?
1: Um, It's it's really hard. I think it, you know, touches on a lot of what i said like as far as getting a good support system and like-minded people and even even not necessarily just single friends but people who understand you and just finding people that really get you um so that you don't feel alone in a crowd of people that maybe um don't understand your choices or don't understand that it just hasn't happened for you yet um and just yeah just making sure you have a great support system and making sure that you are doing things you love and getting self-satisfaction without relying on what other people think about you.
0: Yeah. And I love that you said that because having a support system, we just, we talk about this all the time really on social media um, as a brand, but having a support system is so, it's crucial. It's so, so crucial because when you feel like you have other people who are holding your hands or carrying part of the burden, then that just, it just, it helps release some of that stress and even some of the pain sometimes, you know? For sure. For sure. And
1: especially now, like, especially now during this pandemic, I think everyone is feeling alone in different ways. And, and I'm definitely like, I'm struggling more than I, than I ever used to about feeling alone because, you know, I'm not, I'm not going around my regular life doing things that maybe normally would have given me joy. It's a lot harder to find things to give yourself joy. And it's a lot easier to also remember that you're alone and single and you're not, you're not actively going to events and putting yourself out there. And, and if you are dating, it's probably not very frequent slash normal slash zoom dates. Um, It's really easy to feel alone right now. And having that support system is so crucial and, and, you know, it's just like everyone really needs to just check in on their friends because it's just, it's just not easy. And it's so funny because, you know, sometimes on social media, I could post something and like over a thousand people can watch it or whatever, but like, I could still feel so alone because even though I'm getting messages, you know, it's hard sometimes, like everyone's busy and it's like, oh, did my friend reach out to me today? Um, I think we're just like, all, oh, so. Busy and and overwhelmed, and it's just so it's so critical to re- remember everyone and to reach out to your friends and in a way that we haven't before because we're just all struggling on different levels.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. So, what is something that you hope the next generation of women won't have to struggle with?
1: Um, I hope the next generation of women learn to to love themselves more regardless of where they are in life, whether, whether they're single, whether they're married, whether they've gone through a bad relationship. Um, I hope that, you know, we're less hard on ourselves. I think a lot of us are really hard on ourselves and um, really learn to accept ourselves with, with every mistake and every lesson. Um, I think we've talked about this before, how like, you know, sometimes you, like do you regret any anything any choice you've ever made and any mistake you've ever made, And my answer is a resounding no and then even though I've gone through things, like it's so important for people to just um accept themselves regardless of the mistakes and and just learn the lessons from those mistakes and just grow from them and I think it it makes you a better person and and a better woman when you really learn to internalize that
0: Yes, for sure, I love that, yeah, loving yourself is so important.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's really hard. It's, 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 it's it's hard work. And I just, I wish, you know, that we would all support each other. I think, I think social media um, has done a lot of good for connection, but it's also, it's brought out bad in people and, you know, people sometimes tear each other down on social media. And um, I would love to see a, a hypothetical world where we just supported each other and and accepted each other's differences because that's what makes us beautiful and that's what makes us each our own people.
0: For sure, for sure. Yeah. I love that. Um, okay, so ending off, uh, where can people find you if they wanna get to know you more and learn more about you? Um, so when they're not coming to my ER, <laughs> <laughs> they,
1: they can find me on Instagram. Um, my account is called Farmie in the City, like pharmacist P-H-A-R-M-I-E in the city hopefully i spelled that correctly we'll have it in the show notes also okay okay cool um but yeah i'm on instagram i love to story and rant and sometimes (laughs) post but mostly story and
0: i love connecting with my followers thank you so much for joining me tonight this was so informative and so fun talking to you but yeah, I'm really excited to have you as one of our first guests, honey. So this is going to be so much fun. Yeah, no, it's really going to be great. People have a lot to learn from you, from your resilience, from your hard work. And yeah, every and sense of humor, just everything, everything. <laughs> Don't make You're me an cry, inspiration. But... <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you. Well, it's it's definitely, it's an honor to talk to you. And I'm so glad that, I'm so glad that we could talk.